0: Thanks for joining us today for our Freedom Podcast. We are excited to grow with you. Today, you will hear a message from the life-changing Word of God. We hope this podcast adds value to your everyday life. If you want to find out more about this ministry, visit our website at wearefreedomlife.com. Welcome to Freedom. Are you one of those families that finds sitting down for a meal together normal? Are you the type of family that maybe it's an awkward thing for you to sit at the table uh, with family? Maybe it's not the people that makes it awkward. Maybe it's the feeling of forced conversation. You know, that moment of like, I guess we should talk. Conversations can be difficult for some people sometimes because life can feel monotonous. So what you do today, son? Ah, same thing. What you do today, sweetie? Ah, this is a boring day at school. You can have those moments and feel that way. Sometimes some great breakthroughs happen at the table. Sometimes I can think of uh, different times in, in, in my life that Some cool things happened at the table. I hope the media team could follow me as I come down here because the table for some people, it's a place where miracles happen, like they ate all their greens. Maybe that's kind of a miracle for some. It's a place where memories are made, laughter, sometimes moments that you you think about year after year. But for some of us, you may not remember because it was never a thing. You see, maybe as a child you remember conversations, and those were the good old days. But maybe the table was not a good thing. The table is where you heard the bad news, that your family was being broken in some way, or someone that you love or know got some incurable illness so maybe the table has a mixture of different things that happen I know for me time at the table meant different things for me there were times that the most that I remember happening at the table growing up as a as a kid from the Bronx my mom worked terrible a lot you know when I was younger to provide for us because she was the sole provider for our home. So sometimes, you know, she worked late and so we just grabbed food. My grandma would always be there cooking for us. We never went without a meal. My grandmother would come to the house and she would make a meal and she would, she would hand us our pork chops and rice and beans and you name it, man. She'd always make a great meal. And I was never without a meal. I was never without a moment at the table where I felt like all those needs were not being met. But there were also moments when I sat at the table and felt alone because everybody went their own way. You see, we weren't a family that every, mo- every night we sat at the table. There were times we would grab our food and go to the living room, watch TV somewhere else, or take it back to the room. I'd grab my food and, Mom, I'm going back to the room. And I'd sit and i just watch TV, cartoons, after school, whatever. The table means a lot of different things for a lot of different people. So in the beginning of this series, there's a series of questions that I will be kind of proposing to you. Because everyone kind of has a different response if I ask you what the table means to you. But there's something that's happening in our culture today that has affected coming to the table or at least feeling like we're here. I remember some years ago, we did a series in December called Be Here Now. I don't know how many of you might remember that. Be here now. Because we could worry about tomorrow, we could concern ourselves with last week. But, But what if we were just present? right here, right now. And there's a giant that we're facing right now. And this giant, and some of you remember the story of David and Goliath, and that's the giant that we remember in the Bible, yes? If I was to say, think about a giant in the Bible. Most of us would bring out uh, Goliath as a possible point of reference. But there's a giant that's happening in the world today, and that's the tech giant. Maybe for some of you, (laughs) <laughs> the table looked like this as a parent. Maybe it looked like th- this. Right? For some of us, the, the fight is the, the technology giant, the tech giant. And there's a constant concern that they're never there, they're not there. Or maybe, maybe it looks a little like this. Maybe, maybe it looks like that. Depending on what stage you're at as a parent or as a grandparent, maybe it looks like that. Maybe it looks like this. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, the truth is this. The truth is that one way or another, we're becoming slaves to the tech giant in some way or another. It's affecting our homes and disconnecting our families. What about the tech giants that need to be slain in our families today? Now, before you think that this is a bash technology sermon, it is not bash technology. It is bash the things that hurt us, that take away the precious moments that we only have together. What happened to the conversations that took place around the table? Well, I tell you, this tech has become an issue and it's become an obstacle. And let's be honest. If we look at the studies, studies have shown a couple of things. Number one, one of the the, the studies that that I I read about even in in, in preparing for this series was this. The typical cell phone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times. And that's the conservative number, my friends. That research showed a lot, and what, what we went, when they did the study, they continued to look at it, and the study found the extreme cell phone users, people that are more prone than that, use their cell phone, That and then we're talking about the top 10%, 5,400 touches a day, daily. Actions like typing, tapping, and swiping all count as a touch, just so you know. So if you're on Facebook, one, two, three, and so on. Unlocking your phone, one. Typing in your password, depending on how many digits or numbers are. Each of those was a touch. Over 5,400 touches a day. So let me go a little deeper into the stats. As iPhone users, Apple recently Um, confirmed that it's iPhone, they were unlocked. Average, average. This, again, conservative number, 80 times a day. Eight zero. And to be honest with you, I think that's very conservative. Think about every single time you touch your phone. Now listen. Again, that being six to seven times every hour. Now, this is something interesting. Did you know, did you know, that there are restaurants around the world that are now giving you discounts for your meal? This is how bad it's gotten. They're actually giving you discounts for your meal if you can put away your phone while you're there and being serviced in their restaurant. No joke, a sushi lounge in New Jersey is one example, they give out a 20% discount for people who put their phone in the box and leave it away from their table. Why did they do that? Because the owners felt, maybe if we could rekindle conversations, we could save ourselves from these tech giants. 20% off of your bill if you don't touch your phone the entire time. Now, if you would humor me with this, Um, Can you imagine for a moment, there's a couple of people that have started this thing, and I've seen this trend even on online and social media, that everybody that would go out, let's say there are five or six people going out, they would take their phones and put them face down in the middle of the table and stack them up. The first person to touch their phone pays the bill. John, I think we need to work that into the thing somehow. The first person to touch the phone pays the bill for everybody. Come on, somebody. That'll force some conversation, especially when someone calls you and you know it's your ringtone. Or there's a notification. There's a notification for everything now. It used to be give me a notification for taking my pill. Or notification for something hugely important. Now it's a notification that someone posted something or something that's not really important, needs to get your attention, but we feel the need to touch our phones. Now, again, let me make this very clear. This is not an anti-technology message. I'm talking about coming back to the table. My message this morning is simply this, success that matters. Success that matters. In this back to the table series, today is we're talking about coming back to the family, and the family looks very different for all of us. Like I said, like I said, we have a table that we now have to pay attention to, and and there are three different things that that come to mind when I think about the table because what they tend to do is they tend to. Uh, Do three very specific things. Number one, distract. Number two, distort. And number three, distance you. When we come to the table, what if we could talk and conversate and once again come back to the place where good things and fun things can be relived again? Now, I've been praying about this series for some, several months now as I begin to plan this. This is a very unique series. In fact, I sat down with the leadership team and talked about this for weeks. <laughs> staff meeting every single time we're talking about how we could help our church grow and while this is one of those series that is not a normal, open up your Bible and look at this verse and let's break down the verse, there is a very real lesson to be learned here, at church. We have to realize that this table is becoming, in a lot of people, in a lot of homes, obsolete. It's becoming so distant. It's becoming so not normal. Why? Why? Because the enemy is working overtime to break the family in any way he can. He's trying to do it with husband and wife. He's trying to do it with uh, parents and children. He's trying to do it with family members among family members. And I'm telling you right now that there's a need for us to come back to the table. There's a need to come back. To the table, So let me share with you these three things that, that, that the enemy would love to, to thwart and throw at you as believers. Now listen, this is not just a message for Christians. This is a message for everybody. But understand this, that there is a tie to the scriptures and there is a tie to what this means to biblically for, et, for each and every one of us. See, as we sit at the table, we need to understand, number one, the enemy would love anything, love anything other than this. So he will do everything he can to distract you. If the enemy can't destroy you, friends, he will distract you. And he cannot destroy you unless you give in to one of his temptations where you therein destroy your own self. How many know that we could be our own worst enemy because of some of the decisions that we make? So if he can't destroy you, Friends, he will distract you. And so one of the ways that the enemy would love to hurt the family is to distract you from what is true, what is holy and what is right. And what if we brought Jesus and made him a part of our table? The truth is, you will reproduce yourself at this table. Parents, we're reproducing ourselves and our children every single day. No matter how you like, no matter how you accept it or not, we are reproducing ourselves. We're reproducing ourselves in our friendships. How many have a friend that uh, they do something quirky and now you do it? Because you're around them a lot. And so now you say it or do it or, or you work somehow and you're like, how did that happen? That stuck on me. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Your friend says something weird. Or your friend uses a word a lot and now it's become part of your own vernacular. And you're saying it and you're like, well, I don't normally say that. Okay. It doesn't have to be bad, but it wasn't you before they started saying it. Why? Because we reproduce who we hang around with. The only question is, will you be influenced or the influencer? Will you be influenced? Or are you the influencer? You see, there's a lot of set, there's there's a place setting at the table for everyone. And when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, he invites all to his table. And so, children are a lot like soft clay. They're molded by many of the things we say and do. And the things that we choose. Would you agree? The choices that we make are shaping our children. Even if you're too busy to be with them much, you're forming an image in their mind of what it should be. You know, one of the things I love and admire so much, that when I met my now wife of 22 years, and when I came home one time, and aside from the Chinese food situation, and my family understands what that means. I remember sitting at the table and then specifically at the table, I remember sitting on this end of the table as a guest, I was sitting on this end of the table and I remember when they said, come, we're going to have a meal and we sat down and I'm sitting at the table here. I hope the media teams follow me. I might be getting a little dark here, but I remember sitting in this particular place. I remember the, the, the sliding glass door was behind me. And as I sat at this part of the table, we were all seated there. There was the Strayers and the Puerto Rican guy. I look adopted. I sat there that day, I remember looking at, and I remember uh, Clark as he sat across the table, and I remember sitting at the table and saying to myself, This is pretty cool, but pretty awkward. Because this was not normal in my home. And they prayed. And then we ate. And then I said to myself, I could get used to this. It's very hard to adjust to something you never experienced like that before. And I did. I experienced it. I realized that I was... That wasn't normal for me, but I openly welcomed it because I realized that something happened at this table that I will never forget again. A unity, a togetherness, a family unit that I cannot put into words. And that was interesting to me because as I sat there eating what I thought was regular beef, I later found out it was not. It was venison. As a New Yorker, I did not understand what that meant. And in one word, Bambi. It made all sense in the world. I was wondering why every single bite I took, they looked at me and smirked. And as soon as I figured it out, I just ate Bambi. But it was good. Because if they didn't look at me like I was stalking the room, I probably wouldn't have known the difference. But that's not what stood out that day. What stood out was the unity in the room. It's back to the table. I found something very important there that I think we need to understand. We were not distracted. God doesn't give you a distracted life. God created you to live a Jesus-infused life. He created you with the opportunity to invest in one another. So no matter where you find yourself, maybe you don't have this practice in your home, but maybe you should. Maybe you should make a conscious effort to put down media and sit at the table. Let's come back to the table and let's stop being distracted by the world. Let's talk about something. Let's talk about the things that we're thankful for. And yes, maybe even the things we're not thankful for. Therefore, whatever works for you, you can come to a place where you no longer have to feel rejected because you're with family. Can I get an amen in the house? You're with family. The second thing that the enemy would love for you to think, he would love to distort truth. And this is where we're going to look at a passage of scripture for a moment. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 3 because distortion comes from one source. The enemy, the devil, Lucifer and all his plans. The enemy loves to distort the truth of God. You see, man seems to have this ability to twist things, but that didn't come from man. That came from the enemy. And we're just duplicating that. This kind of distortion can be very dangerous. And in fact, in case you need evidence, Genesis provides us evidence that distorting truth can damage you. The the enemy of our soul is the chief generator of all distortion. He is the one that sources out. All of the distortion. And Genesis 3 tells us this. Now the serpent was more crafty than all of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, These four words that my whole point right now is built on. Are you ready? Did God really say? Did God really say? You must not eat from any of the tree. Did God really say? Is God really being honest with you right now? He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you, but you feel left and you feel forsaken. So does that mean God? Does that mean God is a liar? Is Is it possible that he loves everybody but you? You see, the enemy doesn't shout lies. He whispers them as to not give away. The enemy would shout to you, did God really say you're set free? Did God really say that you need the people at this table? Did God really even want you at this table? Man, you're too good. You don't need those people at the table. You can do this yourself. You are so amazing. The enemy will only throw you compliments if it, com- if it compares with God's faithfulness. The enemy will only throw you compliments when it's, when its drive and ultimate goal is to pull you away from God's faithfulness. That's the only time he'll throw any compliment your way. If it finds you to put yourself by yourself, he will compliment you. As long as at the end of the day, the ends justify the means. He'll compliment you if it means you coming away from the table. He'll compliment you all day. Did God really say, don't eat from the table? Did God really say they love you? No, walk away. You don't need to be at the table. You can do this yourself. You've done everything else yourself up until this point. You don't need God. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch this or you will die. She combated it with truth, but she hung around the tree long enough. And so some of us, we know the truth, but we hang around what is untrue long enough, and it eats away at us, causing us to walk away from the table by the decisions that we make. I've had weeks and months trying to process this table. And I'm processing that there's so much more that we can read off this table. And here in this first week, the enemy can do everything he can. He will do everything in his power to stop you from staying at the table. And if you walked away, he's going to do everything in his power. Look at me right now. I need you to hear me. He's going to do everything in his power to keep you away from it. So he'll distort truth even. He'll distract you, and he'll distort the truth. Did God really say that you're called into ministry? Did God really say to write that book? Did God really say to sing and create music? Did God really say, have a seat? Or did he say, go, find yourself. As if without God we can truly find ourselves. Sounds a lot like the prodigal, doesn't it? That's another day. Therefore, if you can be distracted and you can find yourself distorted, What is the end result after you've been distracted and the truth has been distorted? What happens naturally to the human flesh as we distance ourselves forever? Hopefully not forever, but in our mind we're saying we're done. I don't want to do this anymore. Whether it's our marriage, whether it's our family, whether it's with this, that, and the other, this job. Or even with a relative, and you said, I've tried everything, I'm done. Understand something, that God never created distance, except for the things that harm us. Adam walked in the garden with God. He walked, look at me, he walked in the garden with God. Why? Because God was personal. God was relational. Understand this, that God cared about Adam and Adam cared about God. And something came along and distorted truth. Something came along and brought untruth to a truthful relationship. Something came along and put us in a place to be distracted. Did God really say? And that created enough room, that created enough room to bring doubt. Doubt is the enemy's faith. The same way that faith activates heaven, fear and doubt activate hell. In the same way that faith activates and gets God's attention, fear and doubt get the enemy's attention. And all you're doing, what is fear and doubt? Look at me. You know what fear and doubt is? Fear and doubt is the currency of hell. Everything that you've ever felt that went wrong in your life stemmed from fear and doubt. It never came from the faithfulness of God. It all came from fear and doubt. It sprouted from that seed of fear and doubt in your life. Fear that God will never be there for you. Doubt that you would ever be able to come through even if God did call you. All those things that God told you at the table, we walked away from. And when we walk away from that, fear and doubt get stronger and stronger. And every day that you believe a lie, you empower the liar. So I'm calling you back to the table, church. I'm calling you back to the table. The table is where negotiations happen too. Okay, God. I don't have a single thing to negotiate except myself. I will give you myself. But I need your strength. I need your hope. And that's something you can bring to the table. Yes? Yes? But distance, friends, distance. If the enemy can distract you from your time alone with God, then he can isolate you from the help that comes from him alone. And we experience this for years now. And as a leadership, as a church, we're experiencing it still. Still. Here we are, years later, where we can join together and still some people have not gotten it. Let's come back to the table. Let's convene and let's ask God for greater, greater things. See, if he can isolate you, come on. If you say, man, I preach short and I preach better. If he can isolate you, he can isolate God's promises in your life. Feeling like you have to be distant from the people of God can seem like jumping off of a burning plane without a parachute. Feeling like you have to be distant from people. I don't want to do this, but it's the only option I have. Why? Because fear and doubt make you do things you don't want to do. feel like this plane is going down and the only way I could try to survive is if I jump off but I don't have a parachute. Why? Because that parachute is hope and you feel hopeless. I'm telling you right now God has hope offered at the table. Come. Come to the table. Have a seat and realize that God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all we could ever ask or think. He has answers at the table. So as we look at The truth of God's word. We see that the enemy wants to distract us. He wants to distort truth. And the third thing is he wants to distance you. But here's what the table should be. Watch this. So what does the table, what is the table look like for real? Let me tell you this. The table is mentioned several times. The word table is mentioned throughout scripture for various things. So let me give you a couple of those things. Can I do that? In one place, the table is mentioned as a place where God will prepare a table Before me in the presence of my enemies. Psalm 23, 5. He prepares the table. Why? Because he's going to let the enemy know he's with me. She's with me. He prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. Because he wants that enemy to know. He, she is with me. And sometimes he will taunt the enemy with favor and blessings upon God's people. How many are looking forward to that part of the scriptures? Another time the table was used in Exodus as a place for holy things where they would put holy things on this table. And and Jesus was even sitting at a table where a woman came to him with an alabaster jar. He reclined. Come on, somebody ever reclined after a good meal? Now, they didn't have chairs like this, per se. But when they reclined, they reclined, and this woman came with an alabaster jar. And it was at that table that the greatest offering at least numerically, we have the lady with the two mites that arguably can possibly be the greatest offering ever collected. Two mites. But if we were going to look at sheer number volume, the greatest offering ever collected (laughs) was a year's salary by the woman who dropped an alabaster jar and poured it upon his feet and poured it upon his head and loved on Jesus. Greatest offering ever received. So the table, amazing things happen at the table. So dare I say, the table is also a place where God does interesting things, where Jesus, as I said, he was reclining another time, but he was reclining and there were Pharisees there. How many know that Jesus doesn't always sit with people that are holy? He sits with people that are religious, but they lack true holiness because they lack the heart of God. There's a people that have a form of godliness but deny the power. And he sat with them too. You know, another story that makes me wonder something, and maybe you can think about this with me. Jesus broke bread with the disciples even knowing that Judas, the betrayer, was there. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever point that he alluded to Judas or that the disciples knew what Judas was up to. Nowhere in scripture does it ever show that the disciples were on to Judas. Why? Is that a good question to ask? And I think I have an answer. At least in my mind, Jesus loved Judas so much that his love covered that up. That even though he knew he was going to betray him, his love for Judas never stopped. He didn't treat him like that guy. There's my 11, and there's your guy. Peter, Andrew, Judas. Would you like seconds? Sorry, we're fresh out, Judas. No more corn for you, sir. never let on why because his love is never ending and even when he knew that judas would betray him he let him come to the table and the only time judas left was when jesus gave him the choice and he said do what you gotta do and judas left There was a passage in Genesis. There was a passage in Genesis where Joseph was now the same guy. Remember Joseph? He was kind of betrayed and stuff. Some bad things happened. The same guy that was betrayed, thrown in a pit, sold into slavery, betrayed again at the palace, lied upon, thrown in prison. Same guy sat at the table with his brothers and at the table he fed and ate with them the same brothers that betrayed him. Why? Because ultimately you have to look at God's plan for your life over what has happened to you. You see, it's very difficult to allow God to work through you if you're so focused on what is happening to you. it's very difficult to understand that there's power and the ability to take god at his word and say listen before you worry about all the things that happen to you there's something that i want to do through you the table was there and it was favor at that moment he lined up all his brothers and the one that he loved he gave him and said the bible said that he had overflowing favor at the table he had food upon food a mountain of food read it for yourself there in genesis 43 You're You'll see that his brother Benjamin had so much more food than the others. But they were all at the table. God doesn't forget your faithfulness. God doesn't forget your heart. The table is remembrance, but the table is also acceptance. And he accepted Judas. And he accepted all the brothers. And God is showing us that at the table, all are welcome. Come to the table. Come. Stop worrying about all the things you've ever done and come. Come. Stop worrying about all the failures and come he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The table is not just a place of remembrance, but from that day forward, it moved into the place of acceptance. Back to the table. Back to revival. Back to love and grace. Back to the things that I've missed for so long. Friends, if you found yourself lost in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, man, if even you found yourself away from God, the church, the people, listen, come back to the table and let us sit and eat together. Jesus' top priority on earth, look, look at me, was not about the crowd's or the programs or the projects you know what it was about his pattern was simply this people he cared about people that's why little kids came to him if Jesus was over do you think little kids would have come to Jesus the way they did no The kids came to Jesus because he was more than just a speaker. He was more than just a rabbi. He was more. You know what he was? He was friend. You know what he was? He was the smiling man. You know what he was? Different. To the disciples, he was rabbi. To everybody else, he was healer. What is he to you today? All the things you need for him to be are found at the table. All the things you need him to be are found at the table. Come to the table. One thing we know about Jesus is that he put people first. And today, allow me to parallel this. The table could mean a lot of things to you in the past. But today, the table is the place where you can come. First, as believers, you can come to the table where, as a community, we can do that. But maybe for you, the more important question is, where are we as a family? Are we really allowing the table to be the center focus where Jesus can be glorified? If if the table is a place of chaos, look into that. Change the DNA of how you operated the table. It shouldn't be chaos. It should be love, unity, connection, and grace. What was the first thing that the loving Father did when the parable came back? And I don't want to dig into this because it's another part of the series. But dare I say this, the first thing he wanted to do was to a party with food. He wanted to come to the table. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? We need to come back to the table. No matter where you find yourself, Jesus loved Judas. And Jesus loved everyone that came to that table. Today he loves you too. And so we find ourselves with this. What is true success? True success is defined by God, not by man. So success today, we allow him to define. Success is here at the table. If I can get this part right, a lot of things will fall into place. Amen. All across this room, would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? Father, there is a success that is found among men. There is a success that is found among us as human beings on this planet that says the more money I get, the bigger the house, the nicer the car. That this is somehow success, but your kingdom relates it very differently. I ask you to raise our standards. Raise our awareness to what kingdom success is. That we would have healthy fellowship and healthy relationships. I pray you allow us to create new holy cycles of reading your word and following you. How do I get to the table except through your word? So help us to open up your word, draw near to you as you draw near to us. Lord, I pray today as we come to the table, may we always remember the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Lord, we repent today for being so focused on our own agenda that sometimes we forget what you can do at the table. Speak and embrace us today, we pray. And as we return to the table, God, We know we're not perfect, but thank you that, God, we're not required to be just perfectly obedient. Help us to be obedient to come back to the table. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. My prayer.